um, that you, most of you here, really want to get the most out of it. When you read the Bible, you want to get the most out of it. So before we actually jump into this morning's passage, what I want to do is I want to start just by giving you really two quick, a couple reminders on how to get the most out of your time that you spend when you read the Bible. Okay? Is that okay? A little extra credit, a little extra thing, just kind of thing that come along. But also something that's going to, this is also kind of helpful in helping us really getting the most out of today's sermon as well. So first thing that, here's, here's really a, just a reminder. Whenever you open the Word, whenever you look in the Word, begin, start by praying. I think we, it's easy to forget that, right? We just, we just dive into the Word. But start by praying. Whether you're going to do it with a group of people. I meet with a couple guys at Beach Monkey on Thursday mornings because there's a hot barista there. It's you. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> and uh, and um, what we do that. What we do is we, 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 we talk about life and do stuff, but then we crack open our, we open up our Bibles, and the first thing we do, we make sure. Not because we got to, do we have to do that? We just know that it, we need that. We need the Holy Spirit's help to enlighten us, to help us understand God's words. That's the first thing, okay? Just say a quick prayer, asking the Holy Spirit to, to just really help you understand the truth concerning what you're about to read. Second, during and after your time where you're reading and reading your Bible, ask yourself this, what did God show me in these verses and how should I respond? What did God, what is God showing me? What did he show me here and how should I respond? Because I think so often we read and we just think, okay, I didn't get that. (laughs) And we move on. Or we think, oh, that was neat. But we really don't process. We're reading God's word to us. So in praying and asking, asking him, what did God show me in the earth? And that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to walk away every time going, wow. But it behooves us, as we're going to be in God's Word, to be asking these kinds of questions. So this morning, as we're we're going to be looking at Matthew's account of the events surrounding Jesus' death and resurrection, the question that we need to ask here, ask ourselves is, what is God showing us and how should we respond to these events? Now, I know it's not Easter. This is an Easter sermon, full-blown Easter sermon here, okay? That's not for what, three weeks? Three weeks, yeah, something like that. Weeks away, that's fine. Uh, this is where we are in, in our study of the book of Matthew. I couldn't figure out any other way to do it. We're staying with it. Besides, Easter's going to be exciting. We have at least a handful of people being baptized that day. So we're going to make it a special day of celebration, of worship, and it's just going to be a great, it's just going to be a great day. I wouldn't have, and I wouldn't be able to fit all this in on an Easter Sunday. So we're, I want you to be thinking that as about this, these, these events that we're going to look at these specific events that Matthew writes down. Remember, don't, we need to not bring our preconceived ideas of what we think about a certain situation in the Bible because of maybe the flannel graph stories we heard back in when we were a child. We need to see what is written down, what is it being said right now, and how does that apply, and how can, what, is that, what does that mean for me, okay? How should I be responding? So let's just jump right in, okay? And in this first, there's a couple different scenes that Matthew's going to show us. We're in chapter 27, and we're going to go into chapter 28, okay? So let's start with uh, verses 57 to 61. Look in your Bibles, or the verses uh, will be up on the screen. Matthew says this, When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who, was also, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. 
And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen and shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. Now, we've got to understand that what's happening here right in this situation, something that we've heard so many times, we've heard this, this Easter story, what's happening here is extremely extraordinary. It's very extraordinary. Typically, when a person, uh, person died of crucifixion, there wasn't real, usually a proper burial afterwards. Non-Jews, typically, if you weren't a Jew, you either were left up on the cross to rot, and have the birds come and get you, or you were just thrown down on the ground somewhere randomly to rot. Remember, this is a long time ago, not in our modern society. This is how it would, it would happen. If you were a Jew, because of the religious custom of not allowing a body to not be unburied, they were typically buried in just some common grave where they buried the people that were criminals and, and the people that were crucified. So this is pretty darn extraordinary that on that day that Jesus died, we see at the end of the day, this rich man, this rich guy named Joseph, who has become, he had become a follower of Jesus, goes to the governor and asks to have his body so he could prepare it and bury it and do all the things that only rich people were able to do at that time and in his own personal tomb. Now, here's, the, here's the, what the reason that why, what Jesus does, what Joseph does even is more extraordinary, is that in Luke's gospel, we are told that Joseph was actually a member of the Sanhedrin. Joseph was actually part of this religious ruling council, one of those councils that were actually demanding Jesus' death. I think we don't realize that so often about this. Some rich guy, oh, he was really nice. Man. He, want, he wanted to be involved. Imagine the courage it took for this distinguished religious leader to go to Pilate and ask for the body of a convicted criminal, okay? He's a rich guy asking for the body of a convicted criminal. What would the other people think? What about all the other people on the council? What would they think? Can you imagine the resentment that he probably had to face after this? Was it, would, he, would he got kicked off the council? He was taking a tremendous risk by doing this. And not only did he arrange to have Jesus' body, not only did he take this risk to have his body taken care of and taken off the cross, he buried him in his own brand new tomb, which it says it apparently had just been hewn out of a stone, which once again, only the rich people did, that was reserved for his own family. And he wanted to bury Jesus in there. I think Joseph of Arimathea goes really unnoticed a lot in, this, in the Easter story. But this is an amazing thing that he does here. And on your notes, if you're filling out those little note sheets in front of you, um, what, what, number one there, what Joseph is displaying here is nothing short of courageous loyalty and love for Jesus. This is courageous Loyalty and love for Jesus. He was willing to sacrifice his reputation and possibly much, much more because of what he believed to be true about who Jesus was. Nothing mattered. Nothing. He had to do this. He had to, the courage, he had to have that because he knew who Jesus was. 
He firmly believed that, and it caused him to react this way. And we also see that the, the two Marys who were, remember they were mentioned before that they were present at Jesus' crucifixion? It says that they're sitting at the tomb, and we're going to soon to see how uh, they display their own courageous loyalty and love towards Jesus. So they're back there. So that's one man's, okay? That's one man's response to Jesus' death. Okay, Matthew now records for us how the religious leaders respond to Jesus's death. Listen to what he says, starting in verse 62. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how this imposter said while he was alive still, still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you, as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing a stone and setting a guard. So now in calling the next day, uh, which would be Saturday, the next day, Saturday, day of preparation, what Matthew's probably doing here is he's alluding to the fact that, um, that Friday, this day of prep- preparation was not only preparation for the Sabbath, which was coming up, but also for the Passover, as what, fa- Passover festival as well. We see the religious leaders, what they do is they get together and they go before Pilate. They're not done yet, okay? They get together, they go before Pilate to make sure that this, the, follower, uh, the followers of this guy that they feel is an imposter and deceiver will not be able to continue or to perpetuate his false claims by stealing his body and claiming he rose from the dead. So they want to make sure that does not happen. And really, to their point, can you imagine? Can you imagine that someone who claimed to be the Messiah coming to life after being publicly executed, how that would really, really put a damper on their authority and their word and all that they were trying to do. If he comes alive all of a sudden, so they're they're not going to, no way. We're not going to let this happen. But instead of giving him his own guard, we see what he says is, you got your own. You have your own temple guards. Use them. Go use them. You put them on their own, they go, and they can go seal the tomb, and they can stand guard over it. So here's what we're seeing here. What we see here is where Joseph responds to Jesus' death with courage, with courageous loyalty and love. Number two on your notes, the religious leaders respond with extreme worry. Extreme worry. And you know what's interesting about this The truth is that worry is always the response of people that are trying to manipulate the truth. Have you ever found that in your own life and other people's life? When we're trying to manipulate the truth, we're trying to put a spin on it, there's always this worry. Oh, how are we going to make sure this happens? How are we going to... So worry is the act. They're having the exact opposite. Here we got one guy being courageous and out of love, and it's just going for it. And these guys are cowering with worry because they're trying to manipulate the truth. Now, this next section, Matthew, as he now moves into describing the events surrounding the actual resurrection of Jesus, what he's going to do here, though, he's really going to highlight this one dramatic event for us that we all hear, once again, we've heard it, but I just want us to kind of relive it as we, as we look at it. Look at look, now we're in chapter 28, the first four verses. Look what it says. Now, after the Sabbath, 
Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and, other, and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled, I love this, and became like dead men. I don't know what that looked like. Does it mean they were just face down? I don't know, but they were just freaked out out over this scene. And you could only imagine, because first, what Matthew does, first he tells us that it's early Sunday morning, okay? Nice and early Sunday morning. It's the first day of the week, all right? The day after the Sabbath. And these two Marys, having apparently gone home, probably really sad, so bummed out after Jesus's crucifixion, they come back and what they're doing is they return now to this thing to just visit the tomb. They just want to visit. I don't think they're anticipating going in or anything, they're going to go visit the tomb of Jesus, and actually they're going to get the surprise of their life. The surprise of their life is coming. Just as we saw last week, there's this, first of all, we see there's this earthquake that happens, okay? Remember we saw that when Jesus yielded, it says Jesus yielded up his spirit, basically when he gave up his life, that there was an earthquake and it split the rocks, and remember, Dead people came out of their tombs. All these crazy things happen. And we saw that when an earthquake happens, typically then, it was to be seen as a biblical symbol of God's interaction in the affairs of the world. That's what, what he would use oftentimes, okay? It was meant to signify that this supernatural event of great significance was taking place. And in this case, it happens to be due to this dramatic appearance of an angel of the Lord. He says he descends from heaven and rolled back the stone from the tomb, and he's just sitting there, just chilling in this amazing, radiant glory. And, and notice the reaction of the guards. I love this. I love this. They're shaken to the core and in terror, and it says, like I said, they became like, like dead men. Can you imagine the scene? Just put this scene in your imagination. This, these guys are sitting there, and this guy that looks like lightning, just bright, brilliant light and glory and just, it's, and just bright and bright and all of a sudden rolling back the stones and, and these guards just mouths hanging open, just freaking out over the situation. I love that. I just love that scene. God's glory coming down in just a minute way but it still blows people away enough that they'd be like dead men. What a scene this must have been. Look what happens next. So what happens next in verses 5 through 7? It says, But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then, he quick, then, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee, where you will see him. See I have told you so. I have told you. So I love this. We had no mention of the angel even addressing the guards. I mean, <laughs> nothing. He just seems to completely ignore these guys. And he addresses the women. And what he does first is he calms their fears by saying, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And you know what? Come on in. I got something to show you. I want to show you something incredible. And this is number three on your notes. And I found this as I was studying kind of just an interesting thing. I think it's probably safe to say that the stone wasn't rolled away to let Jesus out. It was rolled away to let the women in. 
Do you ever think about that? Jesus didn't need no stone rolled away to get out of the tomb. He didn't need that. Chances are, I don't know, this was all done for the women and for our benefit. There's no recording of what happened during the resurrection, how it happened, what it looked like. We, we don't know. You see, I think the importance of the, the women being invited into the tomb was so that they could see for themselves. And really, in a sense, we too could be invited in along with them to see that Jesus truly had risen from the dead as he said he was. We have this, not just someone that says that an angel came and he was gone and take our word for it, he rose from the dead. No. Come on in. I want you to see. I want you to see. There's nobody here. It's empty. So we have these ladies as the very first witnesses to this. And remember, as we saw last week, we talked about this as women. Remember who back in that day, they weren't even considered credible witnesses in court. Not only are they the first witnesses to the empty tomb, but they are the, the chosen messengers to go tell, convey this amazing message to the disciples that Jesus had risen. What an honor. We talked about that, how last week, how so often in the, in the, we think about things that could be weak. Back then, a woman was considered weak. Yes. But Jesus, God, or God decides, I'm going to use women, not only to be the first to see, but the first to tell. Isn't that amazing? God takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. The weak to confound the strong. I love that. That's how Easter begins. That's just awesome. That is just awesome. We see that they're told to remind, he tells them to remind the disciple of something. And here's what's happening here. He's telling the disciples, remind them of something that I had already told them the other day. At the Last Supper, one of the last things I had told them at that supper that we had was something that was to reassure them, kind of let them know that their impending desertion, knowing they're, they're scattering in fear when Jesus was arrested, it won't be, it won't be the end. Look at what, if you look at what it says in uh, Matthew 26, he says, you will all fall away. This is Jesus, remember, speaking at the Last Supper. You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. So I think what Jesus is doing there, he, he, he had given them something that they would remind them and reassure them that after his resurrection, they would indeed regroup again. They would regroup in the place where it all started in Galilee. They would all get together then. So there's a promise. Remember, these is, we talked about how powerful it is to remember and lean on the promises that God has made, the promises that things, that everything that he's promised is for our good, for his glory, and according to his will, those are the things we need to rely on. And this is one of those promises. He said, we're going to get together again. I'm sure they were thinking, oh, it's all over. How often do we ever have that happen? When we think it's, this is crazy, this is hopeless, everything's going wrong promises of God are where we need to let our minds go. Because it seems to them, it was absolutely ludicrous that they would meet up again in Galilee. That makes absolutely no sense, right? He's dead. What does that say to you and me? 
to you and I, when we have a situation that just seems like, what could God possibly do through this? This is terrible. This is going in the opposite direction of what I thought it should go. The promises of God. We remind ourselves of the promises, all those promises that he has made to us as his children, that anything that is for our good, for his glory, and according to his will, will happen. This is the first example of that right here. Right away, he's letting them know, I keep my promises. This is a great great lesson for us today as, as a result of responding. This other thing that I see in here, as, as a result of responding, responding to the, the, the events surrounding Jesus' death and resurrection, as a result of responding with courageous loyalty and love, number four on your notes there, these women actually model for, model for us what it truly means to be faithful and fulfilled followers of Jesus, even in the midst of extreme emotional disorientation. This is what these ladies are modeling for us. Okay? How to not just have, I'm a Christian, yes, but to have this faith, have this, have this faith, be faithful and fulfilled follower. I know I'm a follower of Jesus. Life is hard, but I am so fulfilled because of who he is, even though my emotions are just going crazy. How often, I know I'm this way, I'm a very emotional person, do we let our emotions rule our circumstances? Those of you, the people that can relate, you understand how we feel is how we're going to do, right? This is how I feel, this is how I'm going to respond. These guys, these ladies give us a great example of being faithful and fulfilled followers, even in the midst of their extreme emotions. Number five here says, because notice the progression. Notice what happens here. Their courageous loyalty and love leads to obedience which leads to Jesus revealing himself to them, which leads to worship of Jesus, which leads to peace of mind. I love that. If you don't remember, ever remember this whole sequence, just remember, if I obey, these things are going to happen, and the end of that road is what? Peace. Anybody want peace? Anybody want peace of mind? It's not about do's and don'ts. It's about what we're talking about here. It's about having this this courageous loyalty and love for Jesus and let it play itself out in being obedient to him. This is to be a natural progression for us as believers. As followers of Jesus, this is how it's supposed to go. The truth is that the road to true peace begins with courageous loyalty and love for Jesus because of who he is and all that he has done. And we're going to get a little more specific about that in just a minute here. But before we do that, we're going to finish. Jesus, he's going to, before he finishes this whole story, Matthew is going to briefly return to um, these trembling dead-like guards, okay? (laughs) These guys that have been like freaked out, okay? And we're going to see how they go on to account for the failure of their watch. Look what he says, starting in verse 11. He says, while they were going, behold, some of the guards went into the city and told the priests all that had taken place. And when they assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a, sufficient sum, gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this 
day. So the very thing that these temple guards were posted at the tomb to prevent ends up happening. This is exactly why they were posted there. The religious leader's great plan to snuff out this new movement has completely failed. So in order to cover up their embarrassment here and this failure, they're left to having to concoct this story and bribe the guards. And the reality is, I read about this, is that this cover-up story about how this, how this all happened actually was being actively told as far as the middle of the second century. Um, so it, this had gone on for quite a while. Over 200 years after this, it was still a story that had been being perpetuated and still going on. It's interesting, though, that after these two Marys, after the two Marys, the religious leaders were actually the first people in the world to hear about the good news of Jesus' resurrection. They're the first people outside of the, outside of the two Marys. Yet to them, the religious people, except to, except to them, it's the worst news that they could possibly ever hear. To the two Marys, they're ecstatic. They're freaking out. They're totally scared, but they're also like... <gasps> Oh my gosh, they're just like going, they're like going crazy. I think I even saw, right, I was going to explain what this, um, they go, what, what we saw, we saw that these guys go, they go quickly. Married, the two Marys, they run out quickly um, and they depart with fear and joy. I love that. And because what those words are meant to say is to highlight both their astonishment, but also their incredible delight over what they had happened. That happened. Can you imagine those two Marys, the, um, their emotions, just what have been doing? They're just freaked out, but at the same time, you know, just, I mean, just absolutely, I'm emotional, sorry. Just absolutely freaking out. What, what's that? <laughs> oh, that's on tape, isn't it? I can just imagine they're just like, yeah, forget it. They're probably just going crazy about that. But to these guys, but to, but it's, look at the, think of the reaction of the religious leaders, the complete opposite. Oh no. Oh no. This is exactly what we're trying to prevent to happen. It's the worst news they can hear. So if they can't stop it, they're just going to concoct some kind of story. They're just going to make something up. Okay. So how do, we, how do we deal with this then? How are we to deal with, how should we respond to Jesus' death and resurrection? How should we do that? Simple story, story we've heard tons of times, this Easter story. How should we respond to it? Well, unlike the religious leaders of that day, what we've talked about, we're to respond with courageous loyalty and love. But what, what does that look like? What does it look like to respond to these things that happen, these incredible events we just looked at, and the overall story of Jesus' death and resurrection? What does that mean? Number six on your notes there. As we see with Joseph and the two Marys, it's a willingness to sacrifice everything, our reputation, our comfort, and much more, and to be obedient even in the midst of our fears of because of what we know to be true about Jesus. And when I say sacrifice everything, that doesn't necessarily mean I get rid of all my, every, all my possessions. That's not necessarily what that means. Because really, what might that look like? 
What, are the, what could it practically look like? And I'm going to be ta- asking you this question in just a, a second here. But what might responding with courageous loyalty and love for Jesus look like for you? What does it look like for me? Well, I can tell you, it all starts with not only believing that Jesus rose from the dead, that's, that's where it starts, by believing that, but allowing the implications of that, to, the, the truth of that to govern every area of our life. And I'm talking every area of our lives. So let's talk about this for a few minutes. Let's talk about how this plays out in our life. Because your probably, mind's probably going a little bit, what does that look like? So let me ask you a couple questions. The first one is, and kind of before we get into the specifics of that, can you think of a time, here's the first question, there we go. Can you think of a time when you or someone you know, out of courageous loyalty and love for Jesus, experienced peace of mind as a result of being obedient. Think about that for a second. Can you think of a time where yourself or you saw it in somebody else where, they, where because you were courageous in Christ, because there's deep love for Jesus, you experienced this peace of mind and, and this just a result, and it all came from, you know it came from being obedient to Christ. Can anybody think of any, anyone? Yeah, go ahead. Easter Sunday, right? And it happened on Easter Sunday. Yep. <laughs> That's awesome. You had the courage. That's like, once again, the courage to make that, to say, yes, I'm going to believe that. Good. That's great, Dwayne. Anybody else? Anybody else who can think of a time when that might have happened? How about, any, has anybody ever, like, stepped out in faith? I know this has happened to me numerous times and shared your faith when you knew that it was a scary thing to do, but because of you're going, I love Jesus, and I, wanna ha- I, wanna, and I need to be courageous, I'm going to trust in him, 
I'm going to share my faith with this person that I have this relationship with that seems ready to know. night worrying, how do I start this conversation? How do I start this conversation? <laughs> That's so great. Yeah, I was just, I've had that same thing, you know, where God comes in, you say, I'm going to be faithful, I'm going to be courageous. And then you share, and whether the person comes to the Lord or not, you just, this, this incredible, like, oh my gosh, this, this peace, like, not because I was so wonderful, because typically, even as a pastor, I'm a professional Christian, okay? Even as a pastor, <laughs> I, I'm serious. I, when I'm sharing the gospel with people that I know and sharing friends, I'm, you know, and, and should I, and did I, and God, did I write? I'm the same way. I'm right with you there. I'm right with you. But man, the amount of the, the peace that comes after that going, the, that's what I, I, I here's the phrase I've to, often told myself when I've left those situations. That's what I was made for. I was made for that. And, and I sucked at it. <laughs> Can you say that on tape? I was not very good. I wasn't good at it at all. I don't feel like I was articulate, but you know what? That's what I was made for. And that's what stepping out in courage, courageous faith does when we do that. All right, second question. How do people, this is just kind of a side thing of what we saw the, with the other religious leaders and how they responded. How do people today attempt to manipulate the truth, kind of like, you know, remember the, the authorities, religious authorities did, concerning who Jesus is and what he has done when it comes to how they respond to him? How do people, have you ever had people try to give you a response or how do you think people manipulate the truth about who Jesus is when it comes to kind of how it applies to them? Yeah, Veronica. That's a great one. That's, yeah, that's so good. Yeah. An excuse. An excuse will come in. Yeah, for sure. Anyone else? That's a good one. Christianity. Sorry, I didn't mean that yeah. slam on over, but it's true. But bringing in, feeling like that's right to bring on. Yeah. Cover my bases. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I get it. I get, I get it. I think what, what's coming to my mind in this thing was the whole idea of, um, I think what people do is they misunderstand or they ignore the enormity of the whole situation of who Jesus, you know, when we're thinking to ourselves, this is life or death situation. This is a life or death thing you don't understand. Not only will it incredibly impact your life now, but for eternity. And we look at them and they're thinking, yeah, like, but, you know, but what about, and they're using little excuses and we're thinking, no, you don't understand. That's nothing compared, but that's how the enemy works. No, I'll just put this kind of doubt or this kind of thing in there. And they just miss the incredible enormity of what Easter or what the message of Easter is all about. Yeah, it's, it's, and it's heartbreaking. It's really, really heartbreaking. Okay, last one. Um, this is, and this is where I just want some specifics here. We kind of get down and into the gritty of it. It says, what might responding to the death and resurrection of Jesus with courageous loyalty and love look like in a person's everyday life? It's one thing to talk about when I witness and when I do all that stuff. A lot of times we think that's when my faith really shines or that's when I really have faith in Jesus when I do that kind of thing. But what about every day? Let's bring this down to everyday life. What are some things that might responding with courageous loyalty and love look like every day? Yeah, Robin. For me, I hate watching the news. <laughs> Amen, sister. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, yeah, no, no, yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's a great example, Robin. That's so good. So good. What else? What are some other specific ways in just everyday life? Yep, Mike. Exactly. And, and to dovetail, I love that you said that, Mike, because to dovetail on that, the whole idea of seeing our everyday lives, whatever it is, retired, um, at our workplace, whatever, as everything we do is worship to the Lord. If it's daily. We're worshiping the Lord, doing the things like Robin is saying, the pieces of our job or whatever we're doing that we absolutely abhor. We just can't stand doing it. But to have a whole different perspective, that's what, that's what exactly, that's what this courageous loyalty and love looks like saying, I'm going to give up my desires. I'm going to give up and I'm going to worship this. I'm going to make this an act of worship. I'm going to make my job an act of worship and then even share it, my faith, when those opportunities Oh, I think that's so true. Yeah, Veronica. I think having a, a bit more self-awareness about the larger spectrum of the, that sacrifice that was made mm-hmm. and the self-awareness of like noticing the anger, the inconvenience, the experience that you did not need it because the sacrifice was greater than the 
Exactly. That's a great one. Because, yeah, the everyday stuff of the kids, the, the, they looked at me, the kids, the, the everything, the kids, the life, the job, the everything, it comes at us like crazy. The, the Easter message is the message, is the power behind us being able to worship God in the midst of everything we're doing, our everyday mundane life to make it an act of worship, doing the dishes, all that stuff, going to that job and writing that report, doing that, you know, writing that code, whatever it is, as an act of worship to God, because God, thank you that I can do this. Thank you that I can even do this because of all that happened. Anybody else? Yes, Carol. No, that I, I get it. I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Yeah, Lana. Mm, yeah. Yes, that's a tough one. That's a big one, isn't it? Resisting that stuff, whether it's entertainment, thoughts, yeah, all that. Good one, yeah. Anybody else? These are so good. Yeah. This is it, though. Two is it. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> That is so good. And that's the bottom line of this whole thing. And that's a great one to end with, you guys, because the reality is when we're living on a daily basis, living with this, this courageous loyalty and love for Jesus, is going to be willing to step out in faith even when it makes no sense. But we know that that's what we're supposed to do. Even when the odds are against us, even I, Moses, who am I, Lord? I can't talk. Moses ended up being a pretty important guy but not because of his incredible skill, but because of his incredible loyalty. He was willing to be courageous and believe that Jesus is enough. What Jesus provides is enough. That's the message of Easter. And we're going to continue celebrating that three weeks from now, okay? We're just going to keep going. That's the message of Easter. Let's pray. Father God, thank you again for just your word and how it speaks to us uh, just so encouraged as we hear other, uh, one another share how 
the truth of your word impacts our lives. May God, may it be practical. Help us to be a practical daily thing in our lives. The, what you did on the cross, the, your death, your resurrection, all these things in your word, may they impact how we live every moment, God. We desperately need you. We desperately need you. We're broken. We're hurting. We're people that need you so much, and we're thankful that you answer our cry and that you love us so much. And it's Christ's name we pray. Amen.